Hello, and welcome to This Week I Learned, your audio guide to the most surprising discoveries and fascinating studies of the week. I'm your host, Lauren Hansen. This week I learned some very good news for screen addicts. There may be a way to use your phone at night without it messing with your sleep. As surely you've heard, the bright light emitted from your smartphone, your tablet, or any other digital screen is doing you no favors when it comes to getting a good night's rest. And that's because that light is basically telling your brain to stop producing the hormone melatonin which is the chemical signal in our body that tells us to shut down and rest. Looking at that blue light before bed makes it harder for us to fall asleep, and then when we finally do sleep, we're not sleeping deeply. And being groggy the next day is just the least of it. An impaired sleep has been linked to all sorts of serious health problems down the road, including Alzheimer's. But the problem is even more worrisome when you understand how widespread our technological addiction has become. One recent survey found that 96% of people younger than 30 reported using screen-based devices within an hour of trying to sleep. So scientists are really just trying to do us screen addicts a solid and see if we can have our digital cake and sleep soundly too. And a new study has some promising results. In the study, 14 healthy young adults were charged with reading a book two hours before bed. So half the group read the ebook version and the other half read the paper version. Halfway through the experiment, they switched book sources. But here's the difference. The whole thing happened in a sleep lab and the participants were exposed to constant bright light before hitting the books and going to bed. The light they were exposed to was a little less bright than an overcast day. So the good news is that researchers found that following the bright light exposure, evening use of a self-luminous tablet didn't affect sleep. The slightly inconvenient news is that the participants were exposed to the bright light for six and a half hours. But despite the time, it's still very helpful. Scientists believe the light exposure may reduce the suppressive properties the blue light has on our evening melatonin levels. So if you just can't break the nightly screen habit, make sure at least to get some bright light exposure during the day, whether by actually stepping outside or with specialty lights in the office and no, your giant computer screen doesn't count. This week I learned our relative hairlessness has to do with our ability to run and sweat, which is our key to survival. Charles Darwin first theorized that the reason that apes are covered in hair and humans are not isn't due to natural selection, but sexual selection. You see, since fur would have been advantageous for man, it had to be the preference for hairless mates that eventually made hairlessness a common trait. But... Darwin's theory doesn't go back far enough. There still had to be an evolutionary pressure to make us start losing our hair in the first place. So there's another, more interesting, and far stronger theory that connects our hairlessness to sweating. Our earliest human-like ancestors are known as hominids. And a few million years ago, there were several hominid species roaming the earth. They were ape-like. In fact, they look a lot like chimps. They were covered in fur but they walked upright and had slightly bigger brains. 
So two to three million years ago, climate change pushed our ancestors from forested environments into the open plains of the savannas. This meant that we are increasingly out in the sun's glaring heat for hours on end. On the plus side, big game was plentiful out in the plains, and hominids began running long distances. This was actually their hunting tactic. They would bring down large game animals by running them to exhaustion. But here's the key. All that running in the blaring sun put them at risk of overheating. To cope with that, they needed to lose their fur to help them sweat. Hominins as hairy as chimps would not be able to cope with this kind of blazing sun, so they would have to sacrifice hours of hunting time sitting in the shade. But the more hairless early humans could keep going. The less hair hominids had, the more they could sweat, the more time they could spend in the sun. Of course, that hair would come in handy for surviving cold nights, which does put one little glitch in the theory. But recent research has revealed that early humans were in fact using fire to cook their meat 1.8 million years ago. So if they were using fire to cook their meat, they would also be using the fire to keep warm at night. So it's all related. The loss of our hair is connected to our sweatiness, which contributed to our ability to run and catch big game and cook it and feed our increasingly bigger brains. And fun fact, humans are actually the sweatiest primates alive. We have up to 5 million sweat glands. While other primates do sweat, few approach the human level of sweatiness. This week I learned the Caribbean emits a whistle that can be detected from space. Now, the Earth's bodies of water are actually filled with noise, but usually those sounds are created by natural phenomena in the water, not the water itself. Now, researchers already knew that the Caribbean Sea was unique. The sea's structure and flow create a meteorological formation known as a Rossby wave, named after its founder, Carl Gustav Arvid Rossby. Now, the Rossby waves are swirls in the atmosphere produced by the meeting of cold polar air moving down toward the equator and warmer equatorial air moving up toward the poles. The topography of the sea floor, along with the exchange of water between the sea and the ocean, produces a Rossby wave. But there's more. When these waves crash against the western side of the Caribbean basin, their collision and rebound creates a reverberation, kind of like the way blowing air across an opening creates a whistling noise. Researchers actually say the note is approximately an A-flat. The thing is, we can't hear it. The sea is so big that the whistle is pitched so low that it doesn't register to our ears. But we can detect it in space. Satellite data revealed the whistle's resonance was so powerful that it can affect our planet's gravitational field and sea levels, which is actually kind of cool. It means that with greater understanding of the Caribbean whistle, scientists could help predict things like coastal flooding, which could definitely come in handy. This week I learned a funny little story about John F. Kennedy, that he may have won his very first political race thanks to a goat. So as the story goes, back in the day, John F. Kennedy was just known as Jack. Jack was born into Massachusetts political royalty. 
His grandfather on his dad's side was a longtime congressman, and his grandfather on his mother's side was a two-term mayor of Boston. So it was only natural that the eldest of the Kennedy boys, Joe, would be groomed to take over the political seat. Meanwhile, Jack traveled. He joined the Navy. He dabbled in journalism. But then Joe was killed in action in World War II, so it was little Jack who moved up the line. It was on him to carry the family's political mantle. And so, in 1946, he did. When Congressman James Michael Curley was elected mayor and his spot in the working-class 11th Congressional District opened up, 29-year-old Jack Kennedy, boarding school bred, Harvard alum, threw his hat into the ring. But it was an uphill battle from the start. Jack was up against two neighborhood guys who had already been serving the community in political and collegial capacities, and here comes Jack, this nobody with a snobby pedigree, this name recognition, and daddy's money. He wasn't one of them, so there was no way this district was going to elect him. But Jack was determined. He had to figure out a way to get in with the locals. So he joined the local Knights of Columbus chapter, the Bunker Hill Council. This was basically an old boys club filled with every Irish Catholic in town. So Jack put himself up for the annual induction ceremony. The ceremony was basically the 50 or so candidates marching around in a prescribed route, each carrying a symbol like a cross or a key to represent the core attributes of the Bunker Hill Council. Jack, the little rich boy, the new kid in town, well, he was saddled with a live goat to represent humility. But according to reports and photos of the time, Jack totally took it in stride. He walked that goat three miles around the streets of Charleston, greeting people and gaining the support of a soon-to-be brotherhood. When the primary came around, Jack won by a landslide. The local report said it seemed like Jack Kennedy became an honorary townie almost overnight. Jack would serve that 11th district for seven years before moving on to the Senate and eventually the White House. And when he made it there, he invited his Bunker Hill Brotherhood and their families for a picnic on the White House lawn. No goats allowed. And that does it for this week's episode of This Week I Learned. Look out for new episodes every Friday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to read more about any of the facts I've mentioned here or to check out the week's selection of podcasts, including 7-Minute Explainers and 7-Minute Opinions, go to theweek.com slash audio. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, tell your friends, or give us a rating or a review on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening. I'm Josh Barrow. And I'm Lynette Lopez. And this is Hard Pass, the podcast that definitely doesn't want to go to spin class with you. (laughs) Every Monday, Josh and Lynette will unpack, examine, and dismiss something you've been trying to ignore. Aspen's full of rich people who are more or less screaming, I'm rich, bitch. All these little nerds on Wall Street want to be just like him. The airlines are like flywheel. And as the airlines... I just don't like this. With each episode, you'll know more than you wanted, and that lunch at your desk will taste just a little bit better. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or at Hard Pass Podcast on Twitter.